The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews. Presented by IV Creative, it's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me, I have the man in the place to be, none other than J.O. want to thank everybody out there, full and swing in summer. We told you all we had a big week and also a big month lined up, so make sure y'all continue to stay tuned. want to give a shout out to all the fans out there, stateside and worldwide, for continuing to spread the word on the show gotten a few comments and also messages on social media from some new fans and also some comments on youtube so y'all continue to push the word out there we thank you all for supporting the show of course you can get to us at vaultclassicpod.com that's vaultclassicpod.com go there check us out you can get to all the social media sites on there all the episodes the back catalog leave us a message as well or go ahead and show us some love and join the mailing list for news to come as we always say here on the vault our motto is hashtag open the vault hashtag nothing but the classics or mbtc and jay today we have an album that you know we say this a lot with a lot of albums on here but truly i believe in my heart and my soul so to speak that this is definitely one of those albums and we run across albums that we review here on the vault that you talk about the albums that have not just success on the charts or they sell lots of records or they get great reviews or the ones that get five mics but the ones that definitely shift the culture the ones that years later people hear and they talk about that album and there's a certain reaction that you don't get when you talk about the run of the mill album And so I truly believe that this is one of those albums today. So we're going to go back to 30 years ago. And we're going to go back to June 9th, 1992, to the debut album from none other than Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth, Mecca and the Soul Brother, recorded between 1991 and 92 at the legendary Green Street Recording Studio in Manhattan. Runtime of 77 minutes and 23 seconds on Electra Records. The producers on this, of course, Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth, also Neville Hodge and Large Professor doing some producing on this as well. The singles from Mecca and the Soul Brother J, one of the greatest songs of all time. You could say hip hop, you could say of any genre. 
they reminisce over you or Troy. And the meaning behind that, we'll get into that in just a second. Straighten it out. And then also Lots of Loving, which came out in 1993. Mecca and the Soul Brother, Jay, this is something that, it's an album that when you talk about this particular era of hip hop, people talk about foundational albums. This is definitely a foundational album. When you talk about this period, people reference as the golden age or the golden era of hip hop. This is one of those foundational albums. Now, Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth came out with All Sold Out, an EP in 1991, which featured songs such as The Creator, which was one of their well-known songs, All Sold Out, and Mecca and the Soul Brother. This was their debut studio album, an LP, on Elektra Records. So we'll talk a little bit about They Reminisce Over You or Troy. It's one of the songs and and singles that you talk about in hip-hop history. This reference is one of the best. For my money, it's the best song in hip hop history. But that's just me, though. And that's uh, that is a tough order to stack along in a history of hip hop that's been almost 50 years old now. But, you know, for me, I think it's the best one in history. But we'll talk a little bit about the background of They Reminisce Over You, which came out in 1992 and was released actually in April of 1992. That was a tribute to Trouble T. Roy of Heavy D and the Boys, Troy Dixon who was a dancer with Heavy D and the boys, Heavy D as well, the uh, cousin of Pete Rocks, and their family's from Jamaica. Now, Dixon was killed by an accidental fall when he was 22 in July of 1990. While they were on tour in Indianapolis, they were having uh, fun after a performance, and they were on a raised exit ramp outside the arena. Somebody threw a trash barrel down the ramp, and he got on the ledge to avoid the trash barrel, but he lost his balance and fell almost two stories and hit his head and he was rushed to the hospital and he died the next day. When they made the song, they reminisce over you. Oh, by the way, before that heavy D and the boys, their album, 1991 album, peaceful journey was dedicated to the memory of trouble T Roy, but Pete rock, when he made the beat for they reminisce over you said this, when he had an interview with the village voice in 2007, he said, I had a friend of mine that passed away and it was a shot to the community I was kind of depressed when I made it. And to this day, I can't believe I made it through the way I was feeling. I guess it was for my boy. So when I found the record by Tom Scott, basically I just heard something incredible that touched me and made me cry. It had such a beautiful bass line and I started with that first. And I found some other sounds and then heard some sax in there and used that. Next thing you know, I have a beautiful beat made. I mixed the song down. I had Charlie Brown from Leaders of the New School in a session with me, and we all just started crying. It's just, uh, it, it's crazy, man. And that Tom Scott's cover is that cover of Today, which is by Jefferson Airplane. And, you know, there were also another sample in there by When She Made Me Promise, which is that intro that was sampled as well. Really, really epic song. And anybody who's heard of it, I think, has similar emotions when talking about that song of They Reminisce Over You. But, Enough of that. We're going to go ahead and get into it. First thoughts and reflections. So, Jay, we'll go ahead and get into it, man. Mecca and the Soul Brother, just your memories about the album when it came out around that time when you first heard it. And then just give me your reactions to what you thought about it and what you thought about it now since 30 years this has been out. I'll be right. I didn't actually cop the album when it first came out. And of course, since I was I was into hip hop ninety two, but I think I might have spoke about this before. P Rock and CL Smooth, I still felt it was like grown man hip hop. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, you talked about that. Yeah, 
not that it wasn't appealing, but just like, dang, am I, am I old enough to listen to this? And of course, not in like an explicit way, but like, mm-hmm. it almost felt like you had to have like a certain level of like hip hop sophistication to really like mm-hmm. enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Of course, I heard like the singles and everything that like straightened it out and when they were minutes of view, because that stayed getting played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Going back and listening to it, like now it's like, I'm up there thinking like, I had to put myself back in the mind like 92, I was like 10 going on 11. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Of course, this wouldn't have been something I would have necessarily gravitated towards. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like, I could see me like being, I had, do I have to be in college to listen to this joint? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is something I could, I could picture like a, yeah. uh, a college student like back during that time, like, you know what I'm saying, jamming to in their room or going around campus. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, it almost yeah. like it makes you just like, you just make you want, want to walk around like Morgan or Howard or something like that, yeah. like bumping this album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know That's saying? the feeling. That's the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Again, thinking about it in that mindset, but like now, being older, I mean, even now, I feel like you have to be in a certain type of mood to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a knock against, you know what I'm saying, the brothers, you know what I'm saying, especially P Rock as a producer, like, you know, knocking against him, but like, I have to be in like a certain vibe to really like want to listen to it, you listen know what I'm saying? To it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I will say, like, I mean, some of the, some of the production did kind of sound dated, but I mean, that's, that could be hit or miss, you know what I'm saying, for something that comes out back then. Like, you know, everything from back then is not going to sound as sonically mm-hmm. pleasing, like, 30 plus years later, like, say, and I mean, P Rock has drinks from back then. I mean, that, that were on this train, like you know, what I'm saying they're throwing through a bang, but like say, like a like a chronic or anything like Molly Marl produced something like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like some, yeah. So I mean, that's just, that was like the vibe I got off of it. Yeah, true. Now I, I think when you brought up that point about you wanting to be around and listening to this while you were in college, like you said, walking on Howard or Morgan's campus, listening to it. And that's kind of, I think that's always the vibe. I think I got of this even before I knew like that I was going to be in college and the college I would attend would be a historically black college university, that this was the vibe that I would get listening to this album. But I kind of have to agree with you there in 92, I was 10 years old. And when this album came out, um, when the, single when they reminisce over you came out i was um getting ready to finish up i believe it was my fourth grade year heading into that summer but i remember like listening to that song like even at 10 years old that song was something it was just like this is a standout you know what i'm saying when i was 10 years old man you can't like the genius of that song was recognizable by myself at 10 years old not nearly knowing as much about hip-hop as i do right now but as far as the rest of the album was concerned I listened to this by being able to pick up on my cousins having this and being Mm -hmm. around them. And so they were older, you know, to your point. It was almost like when I was 10 or so around that time, it's like you're listening to it and it's it's a little bit over your head. And not only that, but then it's it's not really everything that you would hear being played on the radio. Like, you know, the singles that you hear on this weren't other than they reminisce over you, which was a huge, huge hit. And that is an all time classic. But Straighten It Out and Lots of Loving were things that they played like overwhelmingly on the radio. The stuff that you were hearing on the radio at that particular time had a different sound to it. This was a sound all unique within its own. And at this point in time in the early 90s, you have people that are sampling jazz ad nauseum. I mean, you see, it was, of course, Tribe Called Quest. You saw some of the stuff that the Lost Professor was doing. Also, we talked about Gangstar, Daily Operation. There were things that, that Primo were doing with sampling some of these jazz records in the background that Primo had. What Pete Rock was doing in sampling jazz was... I mean, it was almost like it was jazz was made for Pete Rock to sample, you know, (laughs) because he made it sound those transitions of taking jazz and sampling it sound so effortless as though 
This is the way it was supposed to sound even back then. You These drums could have been played back in that era and it would still be jazz, but it's hip hop. So, and this isn't a knock to what Q-Tip has done and what Primo has done, but I always kind of felt, especially now, that the way that Pete's relationship with being able to sample jazz to me was unlike most producers, even some of his contemporaries during that time. So when I was young, I didn't really get a lot of this. But as I grew older, being able to listen to this album and getting a sense as far as what kind of hip hop fan I would be, I really started to gain an appreciation for this. And mm. notably so, the appreciation I got for this, Jay, was at Morgan, that freshman year in OC, you know, and mm. <laughs> being around my boy Bubba. Shout out to my boy Bubba, who was a huge, you know, underground boom bop hip hop fan. So he had a lot of these classics. And this was one of the albums we used to listen to a lot. And a lot of it would be us sitting and chilling, playing NCAA or playing Madden, chilling around, just got finished, maybe smoking a couple of blunts, go upstairs and listen. So simple I get days, man. simple days. Exactly. <laughs> simple times. And then you go ahead and you put this on, man, just kind of let this ride. And then it was the combination of the jazz and Pete sampling and then also CL, who well, I think. Actually, no, I'm going to say this. I feel as though he doesn't get his props in regards to what he did during this period of hip hop, man. A guy, we talked about this during the main ingredient review we did a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very understated, almost like his flow is kind of like conversational. Like I kind of always said I put him in sort of Grand Poobah in the same style spectrum. Sort of like they have sort of similar style. Stylistically, they're similar, but... To this now, listening to this past week, man, what I really noticed, man, is like, yo, CL was spitting on a lot of this. Like he was he was really like on his A game. So then you take an A game Pete Rock with an A game CO Smooth. And what you have is an album like this that years and years later, as a grown man, I can really appreciate it. Some of the production sound as though it came from 1992. Yeah. But I feel Mm -hmm. as though that's sort of what makes it great to me because i mean i feel like that organic sound the stuff with things being analog like the sampling directly from the records that vinyl sound like the the way that pete does his drums and pete talks about his drums a lot when he's on twitter and that's what i really respect about him because he's a guy that's a master of his craft and then you take and hear some of those lyrics and cl and the things that he's also talking about obviously very conscious you know talks a lot about you know, things in the ghetto, when he talks about the ghetto of the mind, you know, you hear stuff like anger in the nation, you hear about, you know, a lot of that stuff when it comes to the nation of Islam and knowledge and stuff that he's kicking there. And you just, like, you really, to me, it's like, you know, I don't think as an audience, we really appreciated CL for his genius at that particular time, too. So I think everyone sort of gives Pete his props, but, but CL, to me, I think helped to drive really the beating heart of behind those drums and those beats. It, it really gave it life. So, as a hip hop fan years and years later, we talked about this too, Jay, during the main ingredient review we did a few years back. It did feel like grown man's hip hop, like grown people's hip hop. But at 10 years old, could I really appreciate it aside from what I heard on the radio? No, but now at like 40 years old, I'm listening to this and I really appreciate it now more so than ever. Highlights and lowlights. So now we're going to get into highlights and lowlights, Jay. So go ahead and run them down for us. What are your highlights and any lowlights if you have them for Mecca and the Soul Brother? Yeah, so I mean, of course, you no, know, um, they reminisce over you, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you one other thing. Other thing about that, like, which made me appreciate it, and I guess I was somewhat getting more and more interested in sampling or like, um, like learning where like certain records got sampled from. But like, mm-hmm. remember the episode of the Boondocks where Riley was like doing graffiti? Yeah, 
and they was playing that joint um to Dave like when they was in a high speed chase. Yeah. Yeah. And like I'm up there grooving to the joint, but then I hear that 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 saxophone. So I'm like, hold up, that's where it came from. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like oh shit, like mm-hmm. man, this is this dude is a crate digger. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I say it for other reasons, but like that one just like really made me appreciate P Rock as a producer more. But um, mm-hmm. as far as other joints, uh, Ghettos of the Mind, yeah, lots of loving, straighten it out, and I would say um, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say those like are really like highlights to me. Okay, as far as lowlights. I wouldn't say it's really a low light per se, but like the joint, like act like you know, mm-hmm. like the instrumental he played at the beginning. Okay. I wish he would have used that for a beat. You know what I'm saying? Mm, okay. Because I know, yeah. like, um, I know, like later on, or actually, no, I'm not, I mean, not too much later on, but like, because I know UGK actually used it as a, as a sample as far as pocket full of stones. So mm, like, okay, it would have been interesting to see like what he could have done with it. Done you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like one of those things. Like, dang, what could have been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we talked about this too during the main ingredient uh, review when uh, there were those intros or those beats that you hear something like maybe Pete was cooking up and then it would it would sort of turn off and then it would get into the song. It's like, hold on, wait, wait, let that ride right. for a quick second. Right, right. <laughs> like, yo, let that ride, Pete. What, can you, what, what are you going to do with this, son? What are you going <laughs> to do with this? You know? So I remember that distinctively, like during the main ingredient, we talked about that, how Pete would have these interludes and these intros with these beats that maybe it was something he was working on. Then he would go into the song that he was working on. It was like, nah, son, let that ride, son, let that ride so you know i definitely feel you on that but my highlights so obviously i have lots of highlights on here but in particular what i'll point out uh the first track obviously return to the mecca i feel as though you know co came out spitting on this and really like established himself off the break love the messages on songs like ghettos of the mind and especially anger in the nation i mean it's like yo we talk about how hip-hop sort of transcends time and you talk about the messages that are in songs at that particular time how they can sort of be still relevant to this day i think both of those songs really are still relevant to this day with the messages that were there in ghettos of the mind and anger of the nation i do like you know act like you know and straighten it out um i do think that straighten it out to me is one of those songs uh, that is one of those underrated Pete Rock and CO smooth songs, you I know, agree. sort of like the same way that uh, that searching is is on the main ingredient as well. I love the fact that on on and on that grap level was on there and he was freestyling. And that sort of brought me back to a time in hip hop that I think is sort of forgotten, like the off the dome freestyle. Like you could tell when he was spitting that joint that this is literally how dudes used to freestyle back in the day. You know what I'm saying? It was off the dome. Sometimes you didn't know what you were going to say. You were looking for something to rhyme. It was trying, you were trying to make it relevant. And that sort of brought me back to those days in particular when we were in high school or during that particular time in hip hop, like them early nineties when it was beatboxing and beating on a table and it was rhyming and it was really off the top of the dome. It's not like when you show up at, you know, Funk Flex and LA Leakers and God knows where else and they freestyle it and it's really written. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that that really brought me back to that. So that was good for nostalgia purposes. Gotta agree with you on it's like that as well. A really, really, really big highlight on this to me is the basement featuring Grap Level Rob O and Heavy D with that sample from using Sister Nancy's Bomb Bomb, of course, you know? And so I thought that was an interesting choice only because at this time, if you weren't a big reggae fan, you didn't really know a bit a lot about Cincinnati's Bomb Bomb. And you know, you know with us, 
our generation really found out about it in mass after Belly and then also after Reggae Go 2000 when they released that, re-released it as a single and it became mega popular after that. You know what I mean? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So I mean, that's got a story behind it too. I, I didn't realize she got done that dirty. That could be a whole other show. Oh, that could be. We could do a podcast wow. on that joint with Sister Nancy and that song and now her finally starting to get her props almost 40 years after that joint came out. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but um, interesting choice though, because you know, Pete Rock, Jamaican, his cousin Heavy D, Jamaican, like them picking that joint out. And I know that Pete was definitely a big fan of those old school reggae tracks and being a DJ himself. That was an interesting choice. Scans, you know, and being as though it's a perfect title for a song for Grand Poobah to be on. Consider he was always talking about the skins and brand new beans joint. So that sort of transition with CL and Grand Poobah was almost like I was like, y'all know if you know that Spider Man meme where they're sitting there, the two Spider Mans are sitting there pointing at each other. Yeah, like yeah. I felt like that was CL smooth the Grand Poobah to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I think they're on the same style spectrum. They're very conversational, very smooth. Like you know, rappers that. Nowadays, I think aren't getting their props from so many other people. I think folks from our generation, the ones before us, definitely give Grand Poobah his props without a shadow of a doubt. But I felt like they're kind of like on the same style spectrum. But overall, to me, the production on this is a highlight. I think, man, the drums on here are ridiculous, man. I think that's the one thing I've kind of always appreciated about Pete is his drums and what he uses to be able to layer in his drums as well. CL on here definitely spitting that game. I don't really have any lowlights on this as well. I mean, to me, I think everything here is very well put together. If I do have a lowlight, the only thing would be it's probably just a little too long. But I'm also yeah. thinking back in the context of things. This is 1992. <clears throat> like, really, from when the time that rap started first becoming popular in the early 80s until like maybe the mid 90s. It was no thing to have a song be five minutes long. You know what I'm saying? So when it when after that, it was sort of like, yo, at the tops, the song is like maybe four and a half minutes when the standard was like really three and a half. So if anything, that's probably would be if there was a low light on this, I would have to say it would probably be that it's a little bit too long. But honestly, once you get into a groove listening to this joint, in my opinion, it just kind of just glides by. And and I think it's the production does that. CL's like sort of flow does that to you as well. And then you have the occasional guest appearances on here. Grap Lover as well. Grap is very, very, very active on Twitter. And um, shout out to Grap. And then Rob O, and then of course, rest in peace, Heavy D, um, them doing their things here on as well, man. So, I mean, to me, there's lots of highlights and not really a lot of lowlights on here. Notable quotables. So now we get into notable quotables. So, Jay, what do you have in place in terms of notable quotables? So I have to say, um, Ghetto to Mind, I want to say it's the third verse. 
Okay. I can never look forward to early retirement, but still I maintain in a hostile environment, hustling the concrete jungle for loot. My parents hated blood money, so they gave me the boot. Take a risk because the peer pressure has the edge. It was a blessing when I saw my life dangle on a ledge. Mm-hmm. The streets could have swallowed me whole, but the pain was all gone when I got to see my healthy son born. And now I'm bringing home to the ghetto, only to make a stronger fellow, maybe do some good for the neighborhood. It's hard playing hero, living less than a zero. Rage a bull like Robert De Niro, the modern day pharaoh. A concentration camp with the Section 8. Welfare checks given at a monthly rate. Apply for the high or just plain lazy. Many steady collect right around the fifth baby. The mm-hmm. hawkers out but niggas never packing it. $100 sneakers with skimpy ass jacket. When people are deaf, dumb, and blind, they get left behind. Imagine the ghettos of the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole dream, but like that one just stood out to me. Yeah, that's definitely uh, that, uh, that knowledge, man. And I will say the other thing is, I mean, I'm not going to say the whole dream, but like even with lots of loving, because I mean, it, again, it takes me back like thinking, mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? You in college, like in the early 90s, like, you know what I'm saying? You hook up with a show or whatever like that. And yeah. then y'all, you playing this, like trying to, like I'm saying, romance or whatever. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it just seems like quintessential for that time period. So, like, mm-hmm. I would say everything in that dream, like you get her back in your dorm room, you kick it in her room or whatever. But like, yeah. Indeed. It really sets the mood. It sets the mood, man. Yeah, this is something that uh, what they said in on Medium, uh, this was a review done by Jeffrey Harvey in regards to Mecca and the Soul Brother. What he says is, lest anyone mistake him for merely a beat maker, Pete Rock flexes producer muscles on lots of loving, incorporating the ethereal keys of a live session player, Neville Hodge, and sultry crooning of Terry Robinson and Tabitha Brace into a soulful sample platter. The final product is not only the most mature rap ballad hip hop had yet seen, but also was most well constructed. The track foreshadows the neo soul sound that emerged in the mid 1990s, proving, as did his 1998 solo burner, Take Your Time, that Pete could have been a top notch R&B producer had he wanted. And I was like, damn, you know what? They're right. <laughs> like hmm. if you listen to it man Pete if he wanted to man possibly could have been a great R&B producer you know what I mean because it wasn't just all hardcore stuff for him he honestly I mean like you talk about beat makers and producers like yo Pete was a hell of a beat maker but he also was a hell of a producer man so absolutely, he definitely was a hell of a producer so my notable quotable comes from Return of the Mecca I'm going to actually, this is uh, one of my favorite verses from CL on the entire album. It's the second verse when he says, Understand, the Mecca is in command. Part of the plan is the man who built the land he began. A scripture ripped out the piece of a scroll. Better know, yes, the foretold, the beautiful and bold. Start him in Harlem with the model, the Apollo. Boogie to me, I swallow hollow when you follow. Stable like a turntable. Lyrics, I cradle, no fable. Label a one, my tongue around your navel. You're coming to me, so therefore the program's mecca. The silhouettes weird to fill darker than vanilla. Talk about theoretical, isometrical, alphabetical rebel to dissect the devil. Unveil a tale in detail, the third rail. Read it in braille, a bigger male leave a trail. Now I sick you to the link and make you think. You're too large to shrink. I need a drink. And toast to the emperor, Mecca said to invent, you know the child working wives so surrender, and never be lobotomized, the flexing of the stanza, but you know the answer when I drop a proper grammar, Tabasco, the late show, flow to make a peso, I managed to do damage, so honey, get Mako, rising from the prison, division of Black and Decca, strictly for your pleasure, return of the Mecca. It's just like, yeah, like that. Talking about the theoretical, isometrical, alphabetical rebel to dissect the devil, I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> They're props. 
that CL, man. CL was definitely spitting on this joint. So, so many other ones that I could also then pick. I mean, you could also pick the entire song of They Reminisce Over You, and that could be a quotable all in itself, man. It's something that now you talk to fans of a certain age and era, and they'll be able to recite that song word for word, you know what I mean? And being able to hear that little intro and then hearing that saxophone, it's just like you already know what time it is, so... Before we get into final verdict, I wanted to also talk about something else and mention in this backspin article on Medium, Jay. Now, this period in 1992 and in 92, you know, it was obviously hip hop was starting to was going to go through another one of his transitions. And you go through this period where you have the emergence of groups like A Tribe Called Quest, like De La Soul, Main Source, and Large Professor, Gangstar. The identity of a certain coast is starting to emerge itself. But then not only that, you had a time where this was really going to be the beginning of the rise of Death Row and eventually the rise of the consciousness of a lot of West Coast artists that people nationwide didn't pay attention to that definitely started paying attention to them. And so I wanted to speak about from one perspective, this paragraph and where it says Mecca and the Soul Brother at once represents the culmination of the early 90s transitionary period experimentation and the sonic foundation of the East Coast Renaissance next to come. Dr. Dre's The Chronic would soon spark a parallel sonic revolution out of the West. Given the six months between the two album releases, it's almost certain that Dre, ever the student of sound, spent time studying Pete Rock's studio wizardry. Mecca is the most well-produced album of the transitionary period. Yes, better than The Chronic, it's up for debate, and arguably the best album, period, maybe not better than Death Certificate. So... I wanted to read that and sort of get your reaction to that in regards to in the context that we have it now that we know that it was like this came out in June of 1992 and then in December of 1992 you have the chronic come out and it's sort of like there, this was the transitionary period and where eventually the next time that we would come and pay attention to rappers from New York in mass would be 1993 with the woo and eventually the re-release of midnight marauders heading into 1994 which would then be sort of a back and forth between the two coasts at one point in time so i wanted to sort of get your perspective i guess you could say and what i just read right there in regards to the context of what we know now what happened i mean like how can i say because i mean like yeah p rock was out there doing his thing and i mean of course 92 like dre hadn't really established himself as a solo artist mm-hmm that was like a little bit after like, you know what I'm saying? Dre was in a transition period too. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that was like maybe right around the time, like Cuba left the group. And then that sound for NWA kind of changed between like straight out of Compton and niggas for life. Niggas like, for life. Yeah. And that was like around the time that that's when like Dre started like really rocking like G funk, you know what I'm saying? Like that's mm-hmm. when the birth of G funk sound. Yeah. I feel like Drake may have had a leg up as far as like, you know what I'm saying? Incorporate melody into his sampling. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I think they kind of like, put more attention on him and away from Pete Rock, so to speak, in that, in that regard. Yeah. I, like, he was I, dope I with it, but that. it was, like, still, like, melodies, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That people, could, like, older generations could rock to. Maybe, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you might have been a kid, like, when them songs came out, but then you were older teenager, young adult, you know what I'm saying? Like, by the time, like, say, a number with a G thing came out, like, you know, that sampled um, Leon Haywood's I Want to Do Something Freaky to You or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So Yeah, definitely. I don't want to say, like, he had to cross a Drake or run, but at the same time, I think, like, I would say Dre, you know what I'm saying, more, more or less like study Pete Rock and how he was moving him and then just put us like West Coast like spin to it, you know what I'm saying? Spin to it, yeah. It was a flavor. It was sort of like the way I looked at it when I read that and then I, I agree with you there. It was sort of like, like you said, Dre was sort of maybe studying what, what Pete was doing, but then Dre also said that an influence for the chronic was also the low end theory too. 
You know what I'm saying? He said that he listened to a lot of the low end theory and that inspired him to make a lot of the things with the chronic. So I think what if he was studying tip and studying Pete that he sort of took that and put his own spin to it. You know what I'm saying? Like he made it funky. It was something about that West Coast funk, what he did with the samples. And it was sort of like every producer sort of has like their their stamp on what they do with samples. Like Primo does it. Pete Rock does it. Tip does it. Dilla did it. You know, you talk a large professor does it. That was his stamp. He figured out what his stamp was going to be by the experimentation that he saw with Pete Rock and also with Q-Tip. And they gave it his own sort of like his what basically they would appeal to them out in the West Coast. And then eventually what appealed to the West Coast appealed to a lot of us because it was something that we had never heard before. Sort of similar to what Pete Rock had done and what Q-Tip had done, but it was just his own spin to it. You know what I'm saying? So I agree with you there. Yeah, and I would say like, I mean, plus like, again, like kind of bridging that gap, like, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of that came from P-Funk. So yeah. for him to come up with G-Funk, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It was more, it was a easier transition, I think. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you think about Parliament, Funkadelic, and all those other records. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? How he like took advantage of those, like those synthesizers. I don't know if, mm. I don't even know if you want to say Ohio Players is Funk. I guess you could yeah, you say could. it, but like yeah. Funky Worm, that pretty much, yeah. that, that pretty much made the West Coast hip hop scene back then as far as that synthesizer. Yeah. And it was almost like I, I feel like Dre had the opportunity to sort of take from a little bit of everybody. It was sort of like he was borrowing from a little bit of what he had heard from those, you know, forerunners from the East Coast, borrowing from obviously who we heard in his early days of hip hop. But then him being able to study records and taking those funk records and then even producers and contemporaries like his, like DJ Quick who were out there, you know, producing and doing things. Cats like Jenks, you know what I'm saying, who were out there producing and doing things. So Dre was always good at being able to study things and then being able to take his own spin on it. So it's sort of like you give somebody a cake recipe, right? You like you have the main ingredients. You have flour, you got sugar, you have eggs, you have this. You take it up, mix it up, and then different things along the way make it a cake. What Dre was great at doing was Dre was great at being able to take those ingredients and making that damn cake and being better than every cake that you would have had before in your life. Like, oh, I've had cake before, but I've never had cake like this before. You know what I mean? So that that was that's what great producers do. They take the ingredients of what someone else does and they make it better than anything that you've heard before ever in your life. And it's different too. It has a different a different proposition to it. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with that in that respect. And to me, I think this is also very important. This album, Pete Rock, Mecca and the Soul Brother, is because it really was at the end of that transitionary period where things were sort of shift from being so New York centric to being California centric. So they would really, this really did mark sort of like the end of an era, I guess you could say, before our next era would begin a year and a half, two years later. Final verdict. So here we are at the moment, Jay. What say you about Mecca and the Soul Brother? Do you call it a certified classic, borderline classic, classic just in this time, or not a classic at all? I'm going to say a certified classic, but at the same time, I'm going to say 9 out of 10. I'm going to give it certified classic as well, and I'm going to say 9 out of 10 too. Um, to me, it it's one of those albums that, like I said, it's a foundational album. It's an album that even 30 years later still gets a certain re- response out of people. Pete Rock's production, CO's rhymes, um, the connection that it had in regards to one of the great hip hop singles of all time being crafted in the environment of this album. Another thing as well is that speaking on this and I'll close with this in this medium article, it also states that Troy or they reminisce over you proved a true anomaly crossing over to R&B and even pop radio, even as its musical sophistication and lyrical depth stood in stark contract to the simple melodies and sing along hooks that characterized pop rap at that time. 
It was a double-edged sword, largely overshadowing the rest of the album, at least in the eyes of casual listeners. Mecca and his soul brothers sold a respectable 400,000 copies despite rampant bootlegging, but failed to collect gold and platinum plaques lavished along peers like Daz Effects and Naughty by Nature. And it says, But the people who mattered were listening. The heightened nuance of DJ Premier's production on Gangstar's 1994 Hard to Earn compared to 1992's Daily Operation, or the crisp precision of Q-Tip's work on A Tribe Called Quest 1993 Marauders compared to the 91 Low End Theory speaks to how intently Pete Rock's production peers were paying attention. And that's what I think really drove it home for me. The differences between Primo's production, between Daily Operation to Hard to Earn, and then Q-Tips from Low End Theory to Midnight Marauders, perfectly to me. Because to me, in my opinion, those are the better albums. Midnight Marauders and Hard to Earn, as compared to Daily Operation, Low End Theory. Those are great albums. Yeah. Incredible albums. But to me, I feel like those albums sonically resonate more with me. And it makes sense now, because if they were listening to Pete, and then went and worked on these joints, it makes perfect sense. And that, to me, drives home... The certified classic status to me is something like that. Is when you can inspire other classics to get made. Yeah, you've hit gold, homeboy. You've hit gold. Yeah. So Mecca and the Soul Brother, y'all, 30 years later. Make sure y'all go check it out. There is a deluxe version that is out now 30 years later. You make sure y'all go check it out. Also pick up the vinyl wherever you can go pick up the vinyl. This is a great vinyl to have in your collection. And uh, go on reminisce, so to speak, about this album, man. And definitely the times that we celebrate during that time when this album was released. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our host on Red Circle. You can also visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Make sure that you're visiting the website. You subscribe to the podcast on your podcast provider of sorts. Also, make sure that you are checking out our back catalog, all of the past episodes. If you want to leave a note for us as well, on the bottom right-hand corner, the microphone shaded in blue, you can click on that and leave us a voice note. Let us know what you think about the show. Show us some love. In the bottom left-hand corner, you see the coffee cup highlighted in yellow. That is our Buy Me a Coffee page. Click on that. Leave us a small monetary donation to make sure we can continue to keeping the vault open for years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on Instagram, at Vault Classic on Twitter, and on Facebook and YouTube, the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. We do it here all for you. Golden rule of the internet, if you like something, share it with somebody and make sure you tell them to subscribe as well. We build ourselves and our listeners and our listener base where nothing is possible without you and your words. So thank you all again for it. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate because you are never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.